Over the last few weeks, we began a study on the life of Elijah. And what have we learned about Elijah? What have we learned about the life of faith that we might apply to our own life? I, I think first, we, we learned that Israel was in a terrible state, which kind of caused us to look at ourselves, to look at our own nation. And the question that came up for me was, are we in need of a prophet? Are we in need of men and women of faith who will stand and speak the truth in love? And secondly, we looked at the person that God uses in critical times. Who does he use? Who's, who was Elijah? Well, Elijah was a nobody. But how wonderful is our God, how great is our God that he can turn nobodies into somebodies for the kingdom of God if they have a heart that certainly seeks after him. This leads us to our passage today, which we'll be reading from the Bible in 1 Kings, the 17th chapter and the 8th verse. May the Holy Spirit add his blessing to the reading of his word. 1 Kings 17, 8, Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise and go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and stay there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a woman was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Please, get me a little water in a jar that I may drink. As she was going to get it, he called to her and said, Please, bring me a piece of bread in your hand. But she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have no bread, only a handful of flour in the bowl and a little oil in the jar. And behold, I am gathering a few sticks that I may go and prepare for me and my son that we may eat it and die. Then Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go, do as you have said, but make me a little bread cake from it first and bring it out to me. And afterward you may make one for yourself and for your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, The bowl of flour shall not be exhausted, nor shall the jar of oil be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain on the face of the earth. So she went and did according to the word of Elijah, and she and he and her household ate for many days. The bowl of flour was not exhausted, nor did the jar of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke through Elijah. Would you pray with me? Good and gracious Father, we thank you for the wonderful opportunity to come into your house to express our worship and our love. We pray, Father, that by the power of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross, that you would cleanse us, forgive us of our failures for things we have done and left undone, for words we have said in anger, Bring to our mind any way this moment that we have fallen short so we may repent and cleansed. We pray this, Father, so that we might feel your presence and know your goodwill. We believe that your word is alive and we pray, Father, that you would make it alive in us. Teach us by your spirit this day we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. 
Amen. A couple weeks ago, I told you about my adventures. Like many of you who went to boot camp in the Army or in uh, some other uh, military, and, and uh, it was an amazing thing to go at Fort Knox, Kentucky. Well, because I was in an ROTC program that very next year, I had to go to Fort Lewis, Washington to something that was called Advance Camp. And what surprised me about Advance Camp was that we didn't talk about anything that we had learned at Fort Knox, really. We didn't go back and cover any of that over again. You know, last year we had started talking about how to care for ourselves and how to care for our buddy and maybe a little bit about squads and things like that. Next year we just started out with squads and platoons and started talking about companies of 120 people and all the way up to battalions. And that was one of the great things about being a soldier for me because there was always a new challenge. There was always a new opportunity. There was always a new level of leadership. Always a challenge to grow into. And, and you know what? I think it's the very same thing for men and women of faith. It certainly seems to be that way in the life of Elijah. Elijah thus far has only been obedient in, in two things. The, the first is he went to Ahab, a, a fearful yet sinful king, and he called him out. He gave him frightful news about a, a terrible thing, a, a, no rain for many years. And then he'd gone to the Cherith, a, a cut in the ground, and he was told to, to wait there. And he was certainly cut off there as God took away all the distractions so that he might learn some of the hardest lessons of faith that any person of faith will learn. Dependence upon God, humility, obedience, patience, intimacy, and to simply learn that God is. When we learn that God is all we have, we learn in the cherith that God is all we need. And so after a year of sitting in that cut in the ground, he finally, thankfully, gets the word to go. In verse 8, it says this, Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise and go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and stay there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. Now, if we took this passage seriously, if we kind of walked in the sandals of Elijah, there would be some things that were very troubling about this word that he's got that maybe we wouldn't notice immediately. The first is this. He says, go to Zarephath. Well, that doesn't mean anything to us in English, but in Hebrew, Elijah would have realized that Zarephath means to smelt or melt, or it could mean the crucible. And I wonder if he thought to himself, you know what? I sat in a cut in the ground, waited upon birds to feed me twice a day. I did that for a year, and now, Lord, you're telling me that now, that now I'm going to the crucible? Secondly, the word of the Lord says, which belongs to Sidon. Now, we don't really understand, but what that means is that he had to walk about 100 miles. And if Cherith was as far east as you could go, well, Sidon was about as far west as you could go. And the thing is that there was no cover that Elijah was walking across country. He was walking in a land that was completely unprotected. And we know that Ahab, after he had delivered this powerful and destructive word to him, had basically put a contract out on his life. And so Elijah is walking 100 miles out in the open, 
unprotected, he doesn't have a suitcase, he doesn't have any provision, and he sure doesn't have any way of defending himself. The only thing that he has at this point is a word from the Lord to get up and go. Third, he says, stay there. Stay there at Zarephath. And Elijah had to wonder, you know, the last time he said that to me, the last time I answered that call, it was a year. How long am I going to have to wait now? And finally, I've commanded a widow there to provide for you. Now, here's the thing about widows in the Scripture. You'll never find one that's well off. You'll never find one. Because it kind of, in their culture, it means something different than it means to us today. You see, a widow basically meant, yes, she had lost her husband, but what it also meant was that she had no family, she had no one to fall back on, she was on her own, she had no way of really providing for herself. And so, how is she going to take care of Elijah? And so this is no easy thing that God is asking Elijah to do. And if it was me, I might begin to ask questions at every foot, every step, as I walk that hundred miles across the hard desert. Haven't I been faithful? Don't I deserve a little more than a widow woman? I just left one crucible and now I'm going to another one. When do I get to be the mighty man of God? And perhaps the answer would be as soon as you have been refined, Elijah. As soon as the slag has been removed from your life. And doesn't that seem to be how God works in the lives of his children? Psalm 66.10 says, For you have tried us, O God, you have refined us as the silver is refined. Isaiah 48.10, Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. In Zechariah, And I will bring the third part through the fire, refine them as silver is refined, and test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name, and I will answer them. I will say, they are my people, and they will say, the Lord is my God. And so the question for us today is, how does God refine us? And doesn't the answer seem to be, doesn't the, the, the answer seem to be that he refines us in the crucible? In fact, instead of kind of kicking against it, which is our first reaction, we might say that in fact we should expect it. We can't stay on the same level. God doesn't want us to simply live in comfort in the same place that you were 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago. In the army, we had a saying, maybe you've heard it, it was just simply up or out. In other words, you had to be promoted within a certain number of years or the army was going to ask you to leave. The life of faith, the life of Elijah, kind of seems to be that, that same thing. There's a continual cycle. Listen, listen, if you've fallen away, come on back for just a minute. The most important thing I want you to say is that the, or here is the life of faith seems to be this continual cycle uh, of, of growing, or knowing, growing, and then going. In other words, we receive a word from the Lord. We begin to know it. We hear that the word. Maybe it's in a sermon. Maybe it's in a, a song. We know it. And then we begin to meditate on it. We begin to understand that this wasn't just a random song, that this was a word for us. This was something that we begin to meditate and, be, and begin to look at how we might apply it to, to our life. And then it's time to what? It's time to go. 
It's not simply time, oh, I've received the word. No, it's time to get up from the cherith and it's time to go to the crucible. And the life of faith, we may not want to hear this. We much, much rather prefer just to live in comfort and ease. But see, God has a plan for us. He refines us. And he refines us usually through the ministry, through the gifts, through the work, through the church that he's called us to. Let me ask you a question this morning. Why is it that we serve our Lord? Why is it that he has included us in his ministry? Well, you might say because it gives us joy and satisfaction. Certainly that's true. In the back of our mind, we may think, well, because God needs me. God needs me. Let's just say that's not on the table. That's not any way true. God is perfect. He needs nothing. But he generously invites us into his ministry for his world because that's where the refining takes place. That's where the crucible is. And that's God's mission statement. When I was a very young Christian, just a, a few months into my life of faith, and we were living in Baumholder, Germany. I had a small group of men that met on a weekly basis, and we committed to remembering, memorizing the book of Philippians. And we went through it every week to a point where we could, we could say it to one another, the entire book. I'm thankful it was a short book. But at that time, Philippians 1.6, God laid that on my heart. And it has meant so much to me over the years. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. He will perfect it, the work that he began. And that's been such a blessing to my life over the years because there's times where I have failed so miserably and I remember looking literally into the mirror and thinking, have I out the grace of God? And that word, Philippians 1.6, would come to me. I began a good work in you and I'm going to perfect it. And many years later, it began to kind of change in my mind. And, and, and the idea was, you know, I, I began a good work in you, and I'm going to perfect it, and we can either do this the, the easy way or the hard way. But I'm going to perfect you. I'm going to work in you. I'm going to recreate the image of Jesus Christ in you. I'm going to make you like my beloved son, and I'm not going to give up on you. And how does he do that? It seems to me he does it through this life cycle, this life of faith, of knowing, growing, and going. I think this is one of the most misunderstood things in the church. And maybe it's just because we don't, we don't want to do it. We get tired. I understand that. We don't want to volunteer to go into the crucible. I've heard people say over the years, I've invited people to come into church. I say, please, come to, come to Jonesboro Heights. It's a wonderful place. I truly have never been part of a more open and friendly community of faith than this one. Please come. And so many times over the years, I'll hear something like this. Well, I can worship God just as well in my flower garden or a walk in the forest as I can in church. And you know, the first few times that somebody says that to you, you go, I, okay, I guess. But I've really come to the point in my life where I just think, that it's a foolish and empty excuse. Because certainly there's times where we want to get by ourselves and just worship God alone. 
But it seems to me, according to the scriptures, according to my experience, that we are created to worship God together. Amen? That there's nothing quite like having that choir lead us and, and we are joining in and becoming just a, a choir of worship. A family of faith altogether. The body of Christ, as the Apostle Paul so often says. And I'll tell you one thing about that flower garden or that walk alone in the forest. I'll tell you one thing, you're never going to grow there. You're never going to grow. You're going to stay exactly where you are, and this is not the will of God. He has committed to persistently work in you. And where is he going to work in you? Most likely it's going to be in the church, using your gifts, using your, and calling you to a specific ministry that will likely be difficult and hard and challenging. It's the life cycle of faith, knowing, going, growing, and going. In, in, in fact, just this week, almost every week on Wednesday night, we have Awanas, and, and every Wednesday night, I, I watch the Awana workers come in. And I got to tell you, we had 27 kids last Wednesday. Felt like 54. They are full out, man. I don't know how we counted there were 27 because it's hard to count them when they're moving so fast. One little boy, he told me it was the first time he'd ever been into church. His name was Jonathan. First time he'd ever been to church. I said, Jonathan, we're so glad you're here. We're so glad you're here. I said, did you learn your Bible verse? And I had kind of thought in my mind that I'd help him learn his Bible verse because it was his first time. He wouldn't know. Do you know what he said to me? He said, what's a Bible verse? Praise God for such a question. And you know what we did? We were in the fellowship hall, and so I pointed up to that beautiful stained glass window, and I said, a Bible verse is about Father God and his son Jesus. And something inside me just thought to myself, you know, that's the best that stained glass has ever been used right there to tell first-time Jonathan about Jesus who loved him. We know that that Awana ministry is important. In fact, I believe that it's one of the most important ministries of the church. I really do. But I also look at those Awana workers that come in, and I see that they're weary, and they've been working all day, and they're just about worn out, and I can almost hear their voices at the end of night when 27 looks like 54. I can almost hear him say, why am I doing this? Why am I volunteering for Zarephath? Why am I volunteering to go into the crucible? And the answer is because you get to share Jesus with first-time Jonathan. But understand this. Understand this. It's also the way that God is working in you and refining you and perfecting you and recreating the image of Jesus in you and removing the slag, and preparing you for positions of greater leadership and victory. You see, we feel the pain and discomfort, and we automatically ask why while preparing to run. Instead, we should be asking when we feel that discomfort, when we feel the challenge. Now listen, there's some things that we should run from. There's some things that we should have no part of. But if God has called you to it, I'm just saying to you today, don't bail out just because it hurts, just because it's hard. Rather, we should be praying, Lord, what are you doing in my life?
What are you doing in me and through me? And how can I join you? Quit kicking against the goads. God has a good plan for you. He has a perfect plan designed specifically for you to refine you and change you into the Son of God, into his image, into his character. Quit kicking against it and rather say, my Lord and my God, thank you. Thank you for never giving up on me. Thank you for being so persistent. Thank you for loving me so much. You are an awesome God. You make all things together. He has a plan for you and you and you, and he's working it in this giant Rubik's Cube that we can't even understand. And because it hurts a little bit, our temptation is to run. Don't run if God has called you to it. The only running should be straight recklessly into it. We feel the pain and we want to just bail. I've had people say to me over the years, I'll never serve on that committee again. Or I won't serve as a deacon this year. They don't say it, but the next phrase is because it's too hard. And I've always wanted to say, and I'll say it now, it should be hard. Where else are you going to learn to speak the truth in love? You're not going to learn that in the flower garden. You're not going to learn that by yourself in the forest. Where are you going to learn to appreciate all of the spiritual gifts and how God has brought this wonderful flower bed of people together to make a beautiful body? Where are you going to learn that your spiritual gift isn't the only spiritual gift? Where are you going to be refined and renewed and restored and grow into the likeness of Jesus if it isn't within the body of believers. This is God's gift and plan for you. This is God's mission statement. And if I could be so bold as to add, I don't say anywhere in the scriptures where God says that he's terribly concerned about our comfort. But he's totally dedicated, loving us so much to perfect us and work within us. And instead of kicking against it, every disciple should be in this continual process of knowing and growing and going. Don't stop too soon. Don't say, I've come far enough. It's like, like a baseball player, and he comes up to the bait and pow, knocks it out of the stadium. He's running down first baseline. Oh, he's doing so good. He's rejoicing. He comes around first base and heads to second. He's at second base, and he looks around. He hesitates for a moment. The crowd's going crazy. Go on. March on. Run on. But he stops on second base, and he looks around, and he goes, you know what? I've just discovered that this is the best seat in the entire stadium. Well, I think I'll just stay right here. Pull up a pew. What a great crowd of witnesses says go home continue on you're not finished yet knowing growing and going Elijah is in that process he's learning to be the man of God that God will call that he will be able to use and in every step from the Cherith to the Zarephath he's taking he's, he's exhibiting his faith Certainly he was afraid. Was Ahab going to overcome him? Was he going to send people to take his life? Doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is that God has called him to a task. 
And now not only is Elijah working and growing and going, but now a fearful widow is as well. Verse 13, and Elijah said to her, do not fear. I just want to say that to someone today. I just, I just feel it. If God is calling you to a task today, would you hear those three precious words? Do not fear. Go. Do as you have said, but make me a little bread cake from it first and bring it to me. And afterward, that's not the order, is it, that we want. We want to see the miracle first, and then we'll be willing to go. And afterward, you may you make one for yourself and for your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bowl of flour shall not be exhausted, nor shall the jar of oil be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain on the face of the earth. If God calls you to it, he's going to provide for you. This, in fact, is not reckless. This is simply faith in action. And so she went and did it, according to the word of Elijah. And she and her household ate for many days. The bowl of flour was not exhausted, nor did the jar of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke through Elijah. Do you see the order? The woman received a word from the Lord. She grew in her faith. She stepped out in faith, and God blessed and provided for her miraculously. Scripture said she went and did. That's obedience. That's faith. That's belief. I can't see it. It makes no sense to me, and I'm going to do it anyway, fully expecting a miracle. In fact, that Belief is the key to the miracles, and belief is what is pleasing to God. Hebrews eleven six. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. God, God's promises often hinge on our obedience. Don't ignore your part. Don't miss that blessing. So what can we take from this passage today? Number one, there may be some people here today that are facing the crucible, maybe square in the middle of it. You don't understand it. You feel like you're doing everything that you're supposed to be doing, and life is hard. What a wonderful time just to pray, Lord, what are you doing in me, through me, and how can I join you? Don't stop growing. Don't Quit because it's hard at first. Don't stop because it makes no sense in your eyes. The cycle of faith is knowing, growing, and going. Embrace it. Don't fight it. And perhaps even have the courage to thank God for it. Would you pray with me? Good and gracious Father, I would make light of people that are going through difficult times. We know that there can be great pain, I know. I just pray, Father, that for those who may be struggling with a calling in their life, that you have called them to a ministry to use their gifts, that you would give them the courage and strength to move forward one more day, one more step. 
knowing that you're faithful. Help us not to get comfortable, to quit too soon. I pray for myself, my family, for this church, that rather we would join you in your mission, in your ministry within us. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.